Watchman, how you doing, buddy? I'm well, I'm well. Tis the season. <laughs> it is indeed. It is indeed. And mm-hmm. especially, you know what? I heard that, you know, Albany is popping, alive and popping, especially as it relates to legal cannabis. Mm-hmm. So yep. I'm really, really curious. I got to give the major props for uh, making sure that it did not lo- uh, lose the public's conscience mm-hmm. that it is actually happening. And you know what? We even have discussions about stuff happening on 125. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. So, so uh, let's uh, bring out our esteemed guests. Our our first guest I'd like to introduce um, is uh, New York State's uh, Assembly Majority Leader, Crystal People Stokes. Yes, yes. Hey, Majority Leader, how you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. Nice to see you all. And it's, it's a great day to be on this side. Absolutely. All right, all right. Absolutely. Buffalo in the house. And as a matter of fact, a night watchman, I have to actually point out. So you have the Jets, you have the Giants who ain't doing squat, but you got the Bills, baby. Okay. That's right. That's right. There you go. And by the way, the Bills are the only team that actually plays in the state of New York. Uh... <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. It's, it's true. It's true. I, I believe the other guys play somewhere in like Jersey or something. <laughs> <laughs> As I am uh, born and raised into a family that love football. So I love football and I am a big Bills fan. But when the, they're not playing the Bills, I'm a Jets fan or a Giants fan. And, All and right. Okay. You have your priorities teams. straight. Absolutely. And a majority of I have to say now, okay, now, uh, is it the fifth time in the Super Bowl the charm? It should be. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. If you, there go we go. There, you can't get the charm, so you got to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very nice. So, so Night Watchman, who else we got? Uh, so uh, Esther Lelieve is a cannabis educator. Um, I, I I only met her about a week ago, but I was so um, impressed with her knowledge of what's going on, not just in general, but also in the communities in New York. And I thought that she would give us a valuable perspective. And she's actually teaching cannabis education in New York City public schools, which is is. I think it's wow. phenomenal. So, wow. Esther, welcome to yes. Soul Lounge Primetime. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to nice. leave um, majority leader of people stuff because I'm a Jets fan. Now, Esther, can you say 1969? Like, come on. <laughs> I know. I know. But I feel like I got to be rooting for the underdogs a little bit. A little bit. I hear you. That's part of well, being a New Yorker a little bit. I, I'm gotcha. just glad that this year we have some action in, you know, we, we have reasons to be hopeful about yes. New York football in general. So. Ooh, indeed, exactly. indeed. So uh, last and certainly not least, uh, we have uh, Damian Fagan, who is uh, the chief social equity officer for uh, the Office of Cannabis uh, Management. And there he is. All right. All right. And I understand, uh, Night Watchman, was that guy not a grower upstate? 
he was a he was a farmer for sure yeah ah, <laughs> there you go there you go that's like, you know that's the one thing every day i'm in the office you know typing up reports looking at excel spreadsheets i just look off in the distance and remember i used to farm <laughs> <laughs> You got you got called to a higher calling. (laughs) (laughs) So so Night Watchman, you know I normally uh started off popping and whatnot, but this time this is special. I'm gonna let you do that. So um I um would like for us to start by talking a little bit about what has been accomplished so far. Um, by the Office of Cannabis Management and the Cannabis Control Board, um, and just in general what the New York State um, Legislature and Executive Branch have actually gotten together on the issue of rolling out legal cannabis. So I want to start with uh, Majority Leader uh, Crystal People-Stokes, and if you can just kind of give us a little um, arc of of this whole progress toward legal legal cannabis here in New York. Well, good morning. I want to thank you all for having me here. It's a, it's a pleasure to share this time with you. And honestly, um, and it was a, a work of in labor. I mean, it took eight years to literally mm. to agree with me that this was something that needed to happen. Wow. Uh, I honor um, Senator Liz Cooper too, because she's the person who sponsored it in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once we did get it, finally get it to the floor, it took seven hours of debate. Wow. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. But it was worth every minute mm-hmm. to get this done. It happened in March. It, we didn't get a Office of Cannabis Management in place until Kathy Hochul was sworn in mm-hmm. as governor. And that's really sad because we could have got started earlier if not, you know, the other folks would not have been so interested in just simply playing politics. Mm-hmm. That and uh, I am impressed with who she has selected. She asked me for my opinion. I gave it to her. I told her I thought Chris Alexander would be a, a great person to be the executive director. Mm-hmm. Given that he had spent a lot of time working with me and Senator Kruger on putting the legislation together, he's also worked in the industry um, for a while, and he's a, a very sharp young man and skilled attorney. I thought he would be the best person, and I, I, I still believe I made that right call because I do <laughs> fabulous, fabulous job. Uh, I, I think the Office of um, Cannabis Management's Control Board uh, is doing a great job as well. Um, Tremaine Wright was the chair of the caucus, Black Caucus, doing a lot of negotiations, mm-hmm. so really understood the legislation. I think there's some glitches that we probably are going to need to go back and make some tweaks to it to change things. But overall, the um, intent of the legislation is working towards that direction. The role of the chief equity officer, we thought, was a very important one that had to be there because, you know, you often say you want to do equity. But if you don't have a person that just focuses on that, you you may get lost, uh, Mm. per se. So... (laughs) that we were able to have that position in place and have an um, advisory board that will advise them on how the resources of the 40% state revenue will be spent in the communities that have been disenfranchised is critically important. And by the way, I, I heard your, your your next guest and the chief uh, equity officer on your show. And I oh. you should be the chief equity officer. And so I had to really move some things around you can find out who, where he lived, what was the phone number. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
you know what? I, I, I give all the glory to God because I know that everything is in divine order. And I think we're in the, going the right direction. Will we have to do some tweaks along the way? Yes, we will. But um, right now, I'm grateful about where we're going. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, man. So, so Nightwatch, you just knew what not, that having the majority leader on here, we want to seriously set this bad boy off. Of course. <laughs> I mean, listen, um, you know, I want to get make sure that we also, this was also an opportunity for us to just acknowledge the work that she's done. And again, eight years of work on this thing. And, you know, it was, it took, a, a, it really took a village to get this thing done. And, and as I said before we started this broadcast, there were a lot of people and certainly a, a lot of black women who um, stood up and, and, and stood for an equitable uh, law being passed. And I want to mention Cassandra Fredericks and Cassandra uh, Regina yes. Smith mm -hmm. and Gia Moran and, and Mary Pryor. And, nice. and, and there's so many people along the way. Yes. Mm, yes. Yes. And um, if I left anybody out, we we're acknowledging you because there, you know, because there was a general will that we were not going to let this pass by and have happened what happened in the other states. And we still have to, you know, we're still not there yet, but we have accomplished more in New York, I think, than than any other state has done so far in terms of 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 having an equitable program so i want to pass this over to damien um who um as a chief uh, social equity officer has a, a really boots on the ground view about how um this thing has been rolling out um you know from the office of cannabis management yeah absolutely and thank you for the intro and thank you majority leader for all your work on this i think you know what jumped out to me when she said eight years <laughs> you know, like that's how serious we take this responsibility in the office. Um, mm -hmm. the, amount of, the amount of work and activism and resistance and strategy that went to even getting, you know, black and brown communities this opportunity. Like there's I have such a deep respect for that work. And so, you know, when I'm in the office and we're working on these things, like people are so dedicated to this mission in, in our office and the ones that actually want to come here and put in the put in the time and, and the effort um to continue this work is they, they recognize all of that a lot of them come from those communities you know chris was you know at drug policy alliance um mm. he's been fighting for this for for like almost a decade at this point and you know the one the one thing i'll say about what's you know what what, what for people on the outside looking in you know a year ago chris probably had five staff members at ocm mm. wow wow they couldn't do any they couldn't do anything like mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, oh, they're going to come out with regs in the sp in spring. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. By January, maybe they had 10, you know. Uh, and so in under a year, you know, the agency's gone from, you know, Chris with five people uh, to what today we have about 155, 160 staff um, spread out over, you know, New York City, Albany and, and, and soon to be soon Buffalo will have an office there. Um, and that that slow growth of an office you know every month we were adding like 30 new employees we had to train them a lot of them didn't have cannabis experience we got to teach them cannabis we got to teach them all these different co complicated concepts we got to set up workflows like we created we stood up like chris stood up an agency in a year like mm. an entire independent autonomous agency that governs a brand new industry that no one's ever doing things that no one's ever done before 
And I, I really feel like that gets lost because Chris is so talented in terms of like writing policy and writing legislation. Like he's managing the hell out of that agency. He's got inspired. He's got people begging to come work at his agency. We're all working there like it's a startup too. Like people are putting a lot of sweat, sweat equity and time and, and effort to see this thing through. And they're trying things that haven't been done before. Card has never been done before. Like there's no, there's no program that we saw out in the world. We're like, let's do that. That works. Like mm -hmm. this should work. Look at this. Wow. Uh, I want you I want to ask you to just explain card for listeners who might not know what that stands for. Yeah. Conditional adult use retail dispensary. Wow. Uh, wow. Innovative license type and, and program that, that seeks to, you know, really put people who are justice impacted and nonprofits who do justice work at the center of the uh, of the cannabis industry with the, the first 175 retail dispensaries. And we did that in partnership with DASNY, um, mm -hmm. who are, you know, still scouring the state for leases and, and, mm -hmm. and raising money to, to, to fund that that initiative. But man, to, to, no state has ever attempted that to, to put people who are arrested for weed as the first ones to sell it in their mm -hmm. state. No one even no one even right. like that wasn't a priority for anybody else until it came to New York. Nice. Um, that's because of the the you know the legacy and in, in, in inspiration of people like the majority leader um, mm -hmm. that continues. Excellent. By the way, because it is the first time it's ever happened, we're actually being sued because of that. Mm. And so uh, it's like Buffalo don't have an opportunity yet to have a dispensary because there's a court case. Wow. People are challenging that we want to focus on New Yorkers first and. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that's it's so sad because the, the, the case is coming out of Michigan. What they should be doing is challenging those states did not that did not set up a priority for the folks who have justice impact. That's what they should be challenging, not the state that is trying to do it right for its people. And maybe, you know, there's 170 something licenses, as um, Damien said, maybe you can be 152, but that doesn't mean you have to be first. And you shouldn't right. be challenging the, our, the office's opportunity to select who they would like to select to be first. Mm, well, in any case, I've had conversations with the attorney general, the people's attorney. She's working on it for us. We'll, we'll, we'll win that. Beautiful. There'll beautiful. be more because everybody wants access to this industry. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to be in New York. Yeah, but nobody was raising their hand to go to jail. <laughs> that part. That part. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, well, Esther, please, you have to uh, tell the curriculum. Doing the teaching in terms of cannabis education in the school, how did that come about? So I was inspired by the people in this call. Um, actually, Damien Bacon was a part of our parent first parent workshop when we were oh. doing this before he came. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was nervous. He was like, hey, you talking to parents about can what what kind of parents? I was like, high school is. He's like, what high school is? Like the questions were like, wait, like freshman high school is? Like, are we wait, let's roll back. What is happening? <laughs> um, and I was inspired by the people on this call and the other people who advocated for eight years. Um, Christopher Alexander's from the same neighborhood I was mm. in. And wow. I saw a Facebook post that he did two years ago before he was in the OCM. And that's, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, piggyback on Damien talking about that because I was watching Christopher Alexander doing this work in my community way before he was part of OCM or wow. in his position. So mm -hmm. I remember his 420 events telling us how to prepare, how to get involved. Mm -hmm. 
what things we need to do to get ready for this industry to roll out. My inspiration wasn't just me. It's actually a party of three. Um, Leo Jimenez and Jessica Naysant, we just came together and we just started with a freshman class of like Mm -hmm. talking about cannabis because in order for this to fully develop the way we needed to, we need the education part. Mm -hmm. So before OCM and all those things, we was like, we're not going to wait. We're going to just start it and just started boots on the ground. And when I mean boots in the ground, we're in the NYCHA buildings doing these workshops. We're in senior homes. We're working with political leaders. Huge shout out to Senator Sanders' office, Marvin, mm-hmm. uh, Assemblyperson Anderson's office, mm-hmm. been uh, Senator Prasad, Sarah mm-hmm. Lewis, Stephanie Zinnerman. They opened their mm-hmm. districts for us to have these conversations and to push the educational part. And I've learned so much just from talking to the children that that's what we expanded. We started with schools and we was like, we have to do more work. We have to be in the community. We need them to buy in to the card applicants. That was another thing. We need them to buy in. We need them to support them. We need to be advocating for them on all fronts. It can't just be everyone in the political world holding all the weight. We need to talk to community boards. We did a workshop with community board eight. Mm. Stephanie Zimmerman mm. and we were explaining what their roles are, how to support the card applicants, how to support this industry. And the reality is that these kids might want to work in the cannabis industry. And mm-hmm. the majority of them were telling us that they were wow. coming up with so much new ideas. I couldn't believe it. They was like, well, don't they need a cyber tech team to make sure? Like, <laughs> like, I, these are 13 year olds. Wow. I was like, wow. hey, wow. Let, let me write this down, write this down. <laughs> And then from there, uh, Damien did an amazing job of helping us talk to the parents. You know, mm. Cultivate Community Foundation, we just expanded. You know, mm. we just, you know, explaining farming, explaining the backgrounds. And, you know, I never got to say a formal thank you, Damien, but thank you because <laughs> those parents are now so opened up with their kids of like, how do we get our kids into this industry? What schools mm-hmm. are available? And we mm. were able to partner up with um, LIM College figuring out ways and entries for our kids to get in it, but also now working with like Department of Labor and all these different departments of getting the resources because too many oftentimes our community's like, oh, I don't know this information. I don't know where it is. So now I'm meeting you in your apartment building. Now you can't say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at Love your it. home. <laughs> you can't say nothing. I'm at your kid's school. What you gonna do now? Like I, Damien knows I've cut down all those arguments. I tell them, hey, I don't know where this is. Check the website. This is me at every meet. Check OCM's website. It's there. I do not try to reinvent the wheel. I get all their printouts. I know. And I hand them out and I said, nobody can say we're on the middle of the Bronx at parades in the middle of the street. Like you mm. cannot say we're not in your communities. Yeah. And, and, and Esther, please tell me this because as we certainly do know, there are a lot of misconceptions. Uh, do you hear, let's say, some pushback that, hey, it's a gateway drug. This will, uh, Starting this will then lead to other expansions into other areas, you know. Uh, or, or, you know what, there'll be dealers right outside schools. We don't want that. Tell me some of the uh, crazy questions you've heard. I was starting Boots on the Ground in Long Island, so that was already the parent Ooh. coalition's a little strong and wrong out there sometimes uh you know we don't try to combat people we give them the science and we give them the education uh there's a lot of arguments most people can't have with me i'm a mom of a 15 year old boy 
Mm-hmm. In addition, I'm a cancer patient um, survivor. Justin mm. Lance is a biochemist wow. and biologist. Nice, Leo nice. is from Colombia. So mm-hmm. when they try to come with like, oh, what about this? I just hit mm-hmm. them with facts. Nice, uh, nice. Because we understand that everyone's not going to want this to happen. It's here already. And that's what we tell them. But you need to respect the people that got arrested and went through this process to make this industry happy. In, mm-hmm. in, with all the money that they're getting. And we support OCM. We support we support all the politicians. We advocate for them as too and how to support them in this process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the questions is like, this is a gateway drugs. Mm-hmm. You can't say this is medicine. You can't mm-hmm. say this. And, you know, I always give an example. I was a cancer patient at 19. Mm-hmm. A senior, you know, a freshman in college. You can't wow. tell me how cannabis was effective for me as a cancer patient. And most of the time that shut people down. But mm-hmm. in addition to that, we tell them the work that we're doing. You know, I know they don't have an educational infrastructure, but we say, hey, we're in the schools. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do you want to know about the schools? Because if you're not mm-hmm. in it, you can't really say what's happening unless you're in it. You gotcha, gotcha. You you know what I'm a little curious about. Okay, so one of the uh, serious people in talk on the federal level who was uh, you uh, say co- conservative, but yet once he left uh, his position as Speaker of the House, you know he actually went into the industry, and I'm talking about John Boehner. So now, upstate New York, which might be a little bit more red, ha- have we seen some of the some of those repubs? embrace the cannabis industry for their counties uh majority leader you know kind of how you see um people illegally setting up shops all over the new york city they're doing it all over here too wow Mm -hmm. wow and i don't mean just buffalo i mean in suburban communities in rural communities there's a smoke shop set up illegally somewhere so you know they suggest that it's a gateway drug and they don't want to have access to it in their communities but it's these people don't even have license yet, and they mm. they are open wow. uh, and illegally wow. doing business. And so, um, John Boehner is not the only one who understands this is about money. Uh, I want to mention this. I really want to honor the work that Esther has been doing because I think mm. education is critical here. The plan has mm. been so stigmatized. Mm. It's got to be a huge effort to go into destigmatizing it, and and because of that, we actually have. Put education into the legislation so there eventually there will be resources that will go directly towards the kind of education that esther is talking about on a broader scale and so i hope that she's you know geared herself up to be actually maybe one of the people who submits an rfp to christian fabian well, i'm good i'm good <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing i want to mention is that and i'm not sure exactly how this works damien could probably explain it no better. yeah i'm already thinking it's of some stuff actually um <laughs> gave money to SUNY specifically for the purpose of education. Mm-hmm. And I did those sort of education things around my community from the time I introduced the legislation, and we still do it. And one of the gentlemen who participated uh, in the beginning has now been recruited to be a vendor at the Super Bowl. And wow. Consumption Park, and their NFL experience will have a consumption park. Mm-hmm. And for to be honest, you when if you watch the Super Bowl, which I know many of us will, you will see a commercial that advertises cannabis. Interesting! Wow! Wow! wow I didn't know that. Yeah! Wow! So, well, so um, I'd like to jump in and and just uh, let's talk about the historic event that's happening on December 29th when we're actually going to have the first uh, 
legal dispensary open up. And I believe that that is uh, initially it was announced um, for 125th Street. But the last thing I saw is that it's happening actually downtown. Um, yeah. Housing. Yeah, so, housing. Yeah. Work. So, yeah. Um, Damien, can you tell us a little bit about um, about that? Yeah. Uh, and man, I, I'm pretty exhausted because it's all we've been working on for the last like two weeks now at this point. But the office is starting to freak out. We're starting to get real excited because mm. just yesterday, the first transaction of a retail dispensary paying a farmer for their product happened. All right. And so, mm, then, yes. <laughs> understand the amount of things that have to be in place for that money to exchange hands legally, like mm-hmm. the payment processor, the contract the regulations, the guidance, like all these things had to be in place, like like a domino set for that, that payment to go across from one business to the other, one licensed business to the other. And yeah, we're super excited. Uh, next Thursday, uh, we're going to see uh, the first legal sale of cannabis happen uh, on Broadway and Astor Place uh, in, in, in lower Manhattan. And that, that'll be done by uh, Housing Works, um, a legacy, wow. old, yep. longstanding nonprofit that's been doing amazing work with homeless community, which the HIV AIDS community and with people returning from prison. Yep. Yep. And uh, I think nice. what what is uh, what what's still so exciting to me about this concept with this nonprofit and, and you know, a huge shout out uh, to the folks on the policy team, um, including Axel, who, who first saw the opportunity with nonprofits to bring them into this space. Um, you go to Housing Works um, dispensary, you buy $100 with the pre-rolls, you know, you're supporting a family farm upstate, your money's going to the community reinvestment for communities disproportionately impacted by prohibition, it's going to mm-hmm. schools, it's going to drug rehabilitation, and it's going back to that nonprofit to keep doing the work that they've been doing in the community. So every dollar you spend in these nonprofits and these dispensaries is making New York a better state. And it's circulating in our economy. It's 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 reinvesting in our communities and and it's helping people. And I just that is just like the coolest way to smoke weed. Like (laughs) there's just nothing hurting. And that you know you're helping people like that. I I love it. Love it. Love it. And and you know what? I want to harken back on education again, Esther, because uh, and Damien certainly you remember this when we were doing some of those early workshops there. At uh, what was that? At HBA, they said one of the biggest pushbacks they were uh, was coming from the faith community. Yes. Has there been any attempt to educate, let's say, the the clergy about the benefits of uh, of cannabis? Yes. So we did a fifty pastor workshop in Stephanie Zinnerman's district, mm. right in Bed Stuy, in a community center. Um, shout out to Pastor Bird. And in addition, shout out to Air Wellness because uh, Kari Edwards saw what we were doing. They're not in New York. They're a medical cannabis company and piggyback on how do we support you doing the social impact in New York. And since we connected, uh, it's been great. It's been amazing. Like we've been able to see 500 to 1,000 seniors in a week. Nice, nice. Which is <laughs> robust <laughs> selections, but it's been good. We've been able to see... Some of the work we were able to do, we were actually at Angela Yee Day giving out oh. back to school backpacks, about mm. six, seven hundred. Brooklyn DA's office gave us books because we want to keep the education on all factors. So the clergy has been amazing, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. It's funny, after we did that workshop, we actually saw one of the pastors walk to the On the Revel event that they had in August. Mm. And I was okay. like, Pastor? And she said, <laughs> I was like, Pastor, 
Is that you? Was it a hoodie? She wasn't cloaking herself. And she said the biggest thing that she took away from our educational workshop is to educate herself. So she mm -hmm. said, in order for me to educate myself and to minister better. Yes, yes. We give them that part of, you know, we're going to have people coming out of jail. We're going to have mm -hmm. families mm -hmm. that are going to be reconnected. There's social service work and community work that we need to support while this industry is going out. And she said, in order for me to minister better, I need to educate myself on how I can support my ministry. And that that was enough for me. Got you. That's Perfect. Great. Yes. And what I want to throw out there, okay, so let's say we we have uh, locations identified. And, and, and Damien, we know that sometimes there can be pushback from certain constituencies about a location. Yeah. Is the Office of Cannabis Management set on that location or will they entertain, let's say, ideas for possible different location? Yeah. Uh, we want to work with communities that are going to see these businesses, you know, launched inside of them like the, the businesses don't work if the community doesn't buy into them um and i, I just want to give an example of, of of how we run into problems you know early in the cannabis industry early in the legal rollout so you know there's a municipality upstate that you know was sending us paperwork about you know they want to have all the dispensaries in this one industrial part of the city um mm -hmm. and you know we were you know obviously you know cannabis law says that you know we, they can't do that if they opt in um but mm -hmm. the 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 in the conversations with them, I was talking to them about like, we're starting with social equity. And so by starting with social equity, guess who's going to be most impacted by the stigma forcing them to start their businesses in the industrial zone. And so then once the stigma fades and people see that it's a normal industry, that it benefits the community, that it benefits the tax, uh, the, the tax revenue of the city and overall quality of life, guess who now gets the, the dispensaries downtown in the business. Mm, mm, right. By going first, you know, we're also exposing our licensees to that, to the, to the, you know, the challenges of that stigma and, and mm. communities who are afraid of cannabis. Um, mm. And so, you know, I, I was trying to communicate that because, you know, we don't want a situation where all of our black and brown dispensaries are in the industrial zone and then all the big brands are in the, you know, the, the, the ones with the heavy foot traffic. And so, you know, we're trying to, we're going to do better at reaching out to community boards and local municipalities about, you know, incorporating their feedback into where these uh, businesses are located. Um, we don't want to start them and immediately be in this oppositional uh, relationship, especially because it puts our licensees, our, our entrepreneurs at risk. Um, right. How are right. they, they going to succeed as a business if the local community is protesting outside? <laughs> uh, that's a conversation. But, but people got to recognize that, like, you know, L.A. County still doesn't have dispensaries six years later. Because what? Yes, LA County does not have dispensaries. A lot of a lot of the municipalities in Los Angeles don't have dispensaries because the community has never wanted them. That didn't wow. the community from smoking weed. They still smoke weed. Yes. <laughs> they yes. Were everybody else. And so when uh -huh. you wonder like why is California's black market still so huge? It's because mm -hmm. communities don't want legal stores to sell in their in their neighborhoods. They want to they want to be able to like call the guy who brings it behind the back door. They want to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just an unsustainable marketplace. It, 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 will, it will ultimately collapse like a house of cards if we don't allow these legal stores to operate in our neighborhoods because we mm -hmm. all smoke weed. Um, yeah. but, but, but we got to do better. We got to listen better to these communities. Gotcha. Uh, now, Damien, I, wanna... I, I noticed that um, um, delivery is also going to be an option for these dispensaries. Is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah. And that was a, you know, a really a, something we've been working on as a contingency plan for a few months now, just in case, you know, the, the, the brick and mortars weren't up. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the more we talked about it, the more we actually just liked it for them to start, period, because, you know, they can find, uh, you know, a, a delivery space in the outer borough uh, for very low overhead mm -hmm. and start building their website, building their tech stack, building their delivery system, building their brand, hiring people, onboarding people and making money uh, without, without the overhead rent, you know, $200,000 mm -hmm. a year of a brick and mortar location. And so they can start making that money before we put them into the into the brick and mortar location with the, the high overhead. And so um, and they can also you know deliver all over the city. Someone in the South Bronx can deliver to all five boroughs. Oh, um, wow. Nice. If, they, if they've got great weed, you know, they have access to millions of potential customers. Mm -hmm. um, so increasingly, you know, it, it does seem like a really um, empowering thing for entrepreneurs who know cannabis uh, to succeed because they can actually access all of the, you know, the, you know, the high income earning people in lower Manhattan who want to buy mm -hmm. great the people mm -hmm. in Brooklyn, um, all from like the Hunts Point. Um, mm, wow. is, 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 is looking like it's going to be a really important one for, for these dispensaries. And, and, and back up, uh, Damien. So Hunts Point is being proposed as a, not j just uh, what dispensary, but also a growth facility. I mean, uh, the Hunts Point, a lot of people are talking about the South Bronx and how the South Bronx can play a role in the supply chain that we're building right now. The South Bronx, I, you know, I've worked in the Hunts Point for over a year mm -hmm. um, with the whole program and it's a distribution hub for the rest of the city. Right. Um, all right. of our food, all of our produce, all of our you know, packages. Amazon's got a bunch of stuff up there, like mm -hmm. Go Fresh, all that stuff. Um, so there's a lot of trucks coming in and out. There's a lot of transportation. It's a transportation hub. Gotcha. Um, and, but I think what people need to understand is that, like, you see the buildings in the Hunts Point. They're like, you know, 100-year-old distribution warehouses. That's still $20 a square foot for that mm -hmm. warehouse. That's still mm -hmm. a million-dollar-a-year warehouse because of its proximity to Manhattan. Mm -hmm. um, and so the real estate cost challenges associated with building anything cannabis related up there are very real. And so one of the ways we're looking at the South Bronx and Hunts Point in particular is by talking to Dashita Dawson and talking uh -huh. to the city of New York. Like what real estate does the city have access to up there that we can help, you know, you know, leverage to help the community up there access this opportunity. And so that's when we're talking about real estate, we're talking about city owned, maybe even state owned real estate. Mm -hmm. um, can provide to entrepreneurs or we can leverage to help entrepreneurs access the industry. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, majority leader, I'm thinking about something. So, so let's say we have the uh, legal market, right? It's about to unfold, but we still have a, as I said, illicit market still out there. We, what we should prefer the term legacy. Uh, I was going to say illicit. <laughs> I was going to say illicit, but uh, majority leader, tell me what should be done. Should enforcement really come down hard? What? Well, it should come down hard, but it should not criminalize people all mm -hmm. over again. Okay. okay. It should say you need to follow the laws of the state of New York. And so once the legal stores are open, by the way, it's hard, It's going to be very hard to enforce um, the fact that they're doing this illegally until stores are open because mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a legal product. Right, right, and, right. And um, in hindsight, maybe we should have did regulation before we made it legal, but that wouldn't have worked in New York State. It doesn't didn't work anywhere else. So people are just going to have to be patient with us as we move through this. I believe that Chris and his team are putting together some po potential ways that we can look at some new legislation in the upcoming year to deal with these places that are selling um, the illegal weed. Well, I'm going to call it the gray market. 
Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who have other state licenses that are selling. They have licenses mm -hmm. to sell lotteries. They have licenses mm -hmm. to sell beer. All mm -hmm. that's in jeopardy. Wow. And I personally think that um, landlords who allow people to open up smoke shops in their building, we should go after them. Go mm -hmm. after the landlord because they are allowing that to happen in their building. And it's a, it's a legal product, but it's a legal it's an illegal process that they're using. Gotcha. And so go to landlords, they'll be the ones to help us shut this down. But you got to get the stores open before you can even. It's not going to go away. Just like I don't think the illicit market will go away once mm -hmm. stores open. Um, it's going to take time for that to happen. By the way, people thought that you know once lottery became legal, that folks were going to stop selling numbers on the street. <laughs> <laughs> you can put almost any bar in the black community and play a number. That's yeah. true. That one, is so true. One thing I can say um, to piggyback, I was part of a blue room discussion about enforcement, and they're doing a three prong approach, which mm -hmm. is facilitate, rehabilitate, and enforcement. Wow. So they're going to, Deceda Dawson's doing an amazing job of where they're going to do cease and desist, get those people to actually do the legal route so yeah. that they can infuse them. And then afterwards, if those two actions don't happen, then they're doing enforcement. So mm -hmm. some of the rollout plans that are happening that I was access to is a real holistic approach of like, we're going to give you the opportunity to do this right and come out. And if not, enforcement is going to happen and they're working with about three to 10 state agencies to hit it on all sides of mm -hmm. this issue with the gray mark. I call them the gray market because mm -hmm. not everyone is part of the um, legacy who built this industry. True. And that's, that's some of these people, the conversations we have at these community boards and these community centers is understanding the differences because with some of these illicit markets, they're selling uh, K2 and spice to our kids oh. and that's not okay. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. I just want to I want to double down on that because like, you know, there's ways of doing this public policy and the smart ways that don't recycle the same things we tried before. And an example of that is, you know, I talked to Lila Hunt is our director of campaigns uh, at OCM and we could spend a couple million dollars putting ads on the subways telling you that these gray market stores have untested, unsafe product, make you sick. Uh, you're funding, uh, you know, gangs. We could, we could, we could do this marketing campaign for a couple million dollars and wipe out half their revenue because they can't, mm. they can't ever, right. they they have no ability to actually control the narrative. We can do whatever we want with the narrative. We could put commercials on TV. We could do all these things for less money than it would cost to arrest people. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so mm -hmm. you don't yes. have to start busting up shops. We can just mm -hmm. educate consumers. We can put stickers on top of our store, be like, you know, scan the UR code here to find out if it's a legal shop or not. That's got tested product. Ah, uh, that's a great idea. Tested product. It's actually more affordable to the state, and it it's, there's less harm overall in the long term. And I uh, want to disagree much with that approach. Much yeah, I, I want to agree with that because that's what we do when we educate people. We tell them the things to look for. We tell them to check the website of the OCM and mm -hmm. find legal medical stores and find legal <sighs> stores or CBD stores. We tell them, hey, this is how you check. Even during Halloween, we were in the Bronx warning parents of making sure that you're getting the right candy. You know, mm -hmm. smell it, mm -hmm. check it, mm -hmm. make sure right. it's with your candy because we have false packaging and we bring all those packagings to our tablings. We show them what legal product looks like because we've been mm -hmm. able to work with uh, 
Air Wellness and different organizations where they gave us dummy products so that people visually see what this really is supposed to look like. Because a lot of us in our neighborhoods don't know what a real dispensary is, don't know what the real products look. So they're assuming these are all. I had an argument with a vet and he was like, no, this is a legal shop. I'm telling I saw it. And I'm like, I know visually. And then when I showed him, I'm like, wow, this is this ain't real. He got two stores. And I was like, and that's what you're supporting because when you're supporting those tax, those tax revenues are not coming back to us. Where's right, it going? Right. Brother Man on the fifth floor ain't putting um this money back to fixing the streets or the lights in your neighborhood. So I advocate for making sure people focus on going to the real shops because the tax revenues are important. The investment back in our communities is going to be huge as a person that deals with education and understanding where we need those helps in this area. By the way, this is still America and it's still a very capitalistic society we live in. That's so true. People are going to take advantage of an opportunity to make money. And believe me, they are making a lot of money. Mm. But as Damien said, and as uh, Esther is saying, we got to be smart about how we remove them out of this industry to make sure that we get the investment that returns back to our communities. And I think that's the direction we're going. Uh, Damien, I, I've got a question for you. I also want to talk about the other aspect because there's different aspects to the legacy market. And one of them, and I know that you started interacting with them even before you came aboard with OCM, are the legacy growers. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are legacy growers here in New York State that are are actively planning to transition their businesses into illegal businesses. So can you tell us a little bit about how that process is going? Yeah, uh, it's going great. Uh, mm -hmm. Our first attempt to start bringing them into the space is through this uh, cannabis compliance training and mentorship program. So we got when we posted this application uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, I was I had no idea what to expect. We did a lot of outreach as an office with our external team, Jason Salmon, myself, a lot of folks on the equity team, Tabitha Robinson. We had been traveling all over the state, Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester, Brooklyn, the Bronx, meeting with legacy growers, uh, informing them that we need their genetics, we need their talents, we need all their skill sets in the legal industry um, and you know, building trust, building community with them. Um, and so when we posted that application, we got 650 applications from some of the best growers um, across the state. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we have an objective scoring criteria that sort of looked at their narrative, you know, like college essays, looked mm -hmm. at uh, submissions and, and, and scored them um, based on, you know, the, the level of their expertise in growing cannabis. You know, so mentioning, you know, higher, you know, skill like, you know, CO2 machines or <laughs> genetics or growing hydro, like. These things that they talked about in their applications actually, you know, started to push the more experienced operators to the top. And so we've just start, we just finished interviewing uh, 250 people uh, this week. My team did in Albany. Um, and we're going to start that mentorship training, compliance training program in January. Uh, we've got some of the most talented growers from Buffalo, the Bronx, um, in that group, like people who have won growing competitions, who are known in the community as for decades as the best growers. Um, and I want people to understand who these growers are. Like 90% of the weed that's smoked in New York comes from another state. Um, mm, wow. From California, Oklahoma, mm. falls off the back of a truck, whatever. Um, <laughs> but there's always been this subset, this 10% of growers in Washington Heights who, who, who literally, you know, created haze uh, in basements in, in Washington Heights, uh, you know, uh, uh, apartments in the Bronx, uh, houses in East Buffalo, 
Uh, people have been growing cannabis around the state and risking decades in prison by doing it. Um, because mm-hmm. you got caught with a bag of weed, you know, you might go to Rikers for a day, but you weren't getting locked up for, for multiple years. If you got caught with a grow, and you can Google this, you can read the New York Times releasing articles like man in Washington Heights caught with, you know, 100 plants gets sentenced to 10 years in prison. Like, wow. Wow. Time if they got caught. And so it's been very difficult. It's taken a lot of time to build trust with these communities. Um, they're the type of guys who wear masks, ski masks on panels when they meet you. Um, <laughs> I know who he's talking about. He was desperate in the Times. He started. He was just in the New York Times. Ashley Southall wrote a story about the New York Growers Cup and highlighted a lot of these legacy growers because they're mm-hmm. so talented. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on he, his face with the ski mask. He's in the New York Times and he's shared it all over Instagram. Like I love it. Like, also, we had him on our show as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. Finally, able yeah. to share with this community like what he's good at. Like his, mm-hmm. skills, like, he had to hide it from his people for so long, and now mm-hmm. people are like, "Yo, you can do this!" And he's like, "Yeah, check it out. Like this is my genetic. I made this strain." And but I love he, that they're finally able to be proud about what they what they've accomplished. Well, not only that, what what impressed me about uh, them when we had uh, when we had uh, some legacy growers on this show is their commitment to the quality. Of yes, the product, yes, which is is the same commitment that we want as the for for the New York industry. That mm-hmm. there's a commitment to not put out weed that would be harmful to the to the customer. Yeah, and yep. um and telling stories about basically throwing away a whole uh grow because it, it you know it yeah. it had uh some I don't know um, um pesticides or something not not pesticides but some sort of problem with uh mold it was a mold mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. and that just impressed me that that's those are the types of operators that we want to have in the state people who care about the customer they care about the community that's going to consume it and obviously any good business person wants long-term customers and 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 you can't have long-term customers if you give them products that that, that are harmful so um i wanted that differentiation to be clear because there are a lot of these gray market interlopers are people who just ran in and saw an opportunity to make some quick money and do not necessarily have any real care or commitment to long term to the people who are buying this. Yep. It's interesting in all of the eight years that I worked on um, this legislation, uh, I never talked to a person who was a grower. Mm-hmm. And, and once it passed, I mean, they all came. I was like, yo, brother, I didn't even know you. I didn't even think you did. <laughs> So you're right. They, they are undercover. No, no one really knows who they are. And mm-hmm. really, you can walk five blocks now. I know this, and mm-hmm. find a house in Buffalo where they've been growing for twenty years. Wow! Wow! They never came up during the course of the negotiations and while we were working on putting this all together. But they are here now. We know who they are, and they're willing to come forward because they know that if they get their product in the store, mm-hmm. it's going to sell. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I, I I think one of the early discussions I remember, and Damien, I think. Uh, I, I think when stuff was like uh, rolling out was about uh, having, uh, I guess, with CBD folk or yeah, or hemp uh, farmers kind of teach some of the cannabis growers how to do it. Is yeah. that still really a feasible thing that's uh, no, being no. done? Yeah, go the other way. We quickly, yeah, we quickly learned that that is, you know, as a hemp farmer, I got nothing to teach the collector in the South Bronx. <laughs> uh, and actually, I'll say this. 
it was I was on a panel in Harlem, you know, last summer where I was interviewing the collector in, um, as part of Phil's Phil, uh, his barbershop. Um, mm-hmm. thing. And uh, and I was inter- in interviewing him and hearing him talk about cannabis. I was like, I'm never growing cannabis again. <laughs> this, guy is, this guy, I'm not growing if he's going in the market. There's no there's no space for me. And so in the in the program now, the way it's it's shaped up is the hemp farmers are going to be actually teaching the legacy growers labor law, you know, ah, gotcha, uh, track gotcha. and trace, uh, you know, zoning regulations around growing, mm-hmm. um, lighting requirements. There's just all these regulatory requirements and legal requirements that we got to bring them up to speed on. Uh, we got to get them to start filing some taxes so they can yeah. offer this license next year. Um, and there's a lot of things that need to, they need to catch up to speed on that the, the hemp farmers have just been doing because they're farmers who understand how to work with the government. Um, mm-hmm. and so we're trying to get that skill set trans, uh, uh, translated over for them. And the last mm-hmm. thing I'll say is the best partnerships I've seen between legacy growers and, you know, to act, trying to access the legal market, they find people in their community, family members, friends, whatever, who work in construction or are construction. Uh-huh. Gotcha. And so gotcha. if you've done construction work, you know OSHA, you know labor laws, mm-hmm. you know contracts, you know taxes. Mm-hmm. You can find a legacy grower with someone who's got a constructing a construction contracting firm and you've got like an actual perfect cannabis uh, business. Mm. It's funny that he says that because um, that's what inspired me to get um, Mixie's Blossoms where I wanted to support those people still coming up who don't understand compliance, don't understand mm. payroll understand mm-hmm. workers comp, understand community relations. Cause at one point I was a bookkeeper for a construction company. Um, <laughs> I want to say the uh, c- concrete company in Long Island. Gotcha. So you learn a lot real fast both <laughs> companies and plumbing and electrician and, and understanding certain guidelines. So next year I'm going to be actually starting that to work even, even more in depth along with these agencies, like, knowing where they can find the resources, directing them directly where you can go for SBS. I just got my MWB certification and I got it in Harlem. And, I'm in Queens. and right, I was telling right. people, hey, I got it for free. And I was going into the cannabis industry and seeing how many people was like, oh, I don't know how to do this. It's too much work. And this is this. I don't know where to go. The resources aren't here. And someone from Harlem told me that I was like, well, I was at Miss Regina's in Harlem Business Alliance doing all this. I was in uh-huh. SBS, so I put myself for the last year into these different areas to su- figure out, okay, how do I streamline this even? Because it does become overwhelming. Compliance in New York is a big thing. I used to work in the grocery stores. You know, you getting your fire extinguisher check every two years. Oh, yeah. I've done parades. I know about permitting. So just to get them at ease and actually seeing someone like them do it, and mm-hmm. put themselves through it and say, hey, I went through this to get banking. I went through this to get my MWB certification. And this is how we're going to make it easier. Because, you know, there's so much anxiety around this already for these people. Like, you know, Damien was saying, that guy with the mask, everywhere you see him, he has a mask. And people are not even comfortable even talking about it. It's still such a stigma where people still rolling up and they're looking behind them. Because they can't mm-hmm. believe this is real. So yep, I'm yep. bringing more calming space for them to able to talk, able to exchange and network and work collectively. Because that's the biggest thing with me is making them work with the community and as a community. Because I think that's going to be what's going to set us apart from all the other states. Beautiful. And Esther, do you have both your city and state MWBE? 
I do. <laughs> and I have to thank Fernando at SVS for helping yeah. me because yeah. it was it was a definitely challenging, but I got it done in two days. And um, See, because nice, nice. because mm. I had found out if you do it through the fast track program, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. able to get it done. What took an eight to ten week process became an eight day process. Be- but beautiful. One beautiful. of the things I realized yeah. during that process is, oh, I got to get these paperwork. If I was a little more organized, collecting and knowing all these paperwork, <laughs> it would have went easier. So I want to mm-hmm. even double down even for the women to help them like, all right, these are all the paperwork. So by the time you get to SBS, you're mm-hmm. Um, you already know, okay, I got this. And then it's a smoother transition, whatever to make it easier. And I know that's not always going to be the case, but right. wherever I can support that and CCF can support that and my team can support that, we're, yes. we're going to do it. And I don't fight, you know, OCM because okay. Damien, no, I'll be like, um, you got more information? Let me get them papers. All the time. I was talking to him and I was literally like, mm. and he was like, what are you doing with all the papers? I was like, I got boots on the ground. I got to give this to the community. Like, you got to stay budget. I don't. This is colored copies. These are colored copies. <laughs> you got like six on a dollar. <laughs> One sheet. <laughs> Oh, I love it, love it. So now, I I do have to know, Majority Leader, uh, well, A, this is a democracy. Um, now, and, and knowing that it is coming, it has passed, have those naysayers gotten on board? Um, yes, they have gotten on board. They realize how much money can be made and they forget about their objections. Although there are a couple of gentlemen <clears throat> on the Republican side of the aisle who, um, whose children have been negatively impacted by bad marijuana because there oh. is marijuana on the streets. And so mm. they want to assume that it's all that way. It's right. not all that way. And the sooner they learn that, the better off they'll be. But they're still very adamant that it should not happen. And by the way, they're also very adamant that there, there has to be some sort of way to test if people are driving under the influence, which there is not. The science is not <laughs> that yet. But they are still clamoring to find ways to give police more money to figure out if people <laughs> are impaired while they're on the road. And, you know, I, I'm not going to understand what their, what their efforts are, but I often remind them that while you're worried about people who are driving that have access to legal adult use cannabis, mm-hmm. for the last 10 years, people have had access to medical cannabis. Yes. You worry yes. about how people were driving then. Why are you worried about it now? Because it all comes from a racial perspective. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I'll just add, add very help them remember that that is coming. Your thoughts are coming from a racial yes. perspective, and I'll, I'll just add that, like, but not from a safety perspective. These folks never cared about you know a lot of these pharmaceutical drugs and testing people for them if they were driving. Mm-hmm. You know, like pain medication, the stuff, yep. like opiates. There was mm-hmm. no yep. point of like, oh, we need to be able to test people because opiates literally make you pass out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There was no one talking to truckers about testing them for that. And there were a lot of car accidents related to opiates. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so as soon as this plant is legalized, everyone's talking about everyone's gonna be driving out. There's all these assumptions caked into those assumptions, like the majority leader mentioned, is decades of bias that date back to the 1930s 
and oh. our, you know, it's it's Ronald Reagan, you know, say no to drugs type stuff mentality. It's not, <laughs> not thinking. Yeah, program. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's By the way, you know, some of them, some of them, you are able to talk to some of them and reason with them and show them uh. the data and show them the facts. And, they, you know, it's like a light bulb goes off for them. But some mm -hmm. people who are just so deep within their spirit and their heart, uh, believing that there's something that's inadequate and not equal to them that they cannot compute that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In that so there's still an education process that needs to happen with white supremacist and we're working got on it gotcha i've got definitely you. been hitting long island <laughs> a lot of the same mostly are long island they, they're in long island i've been in babylon um with kimberly pierre and yeah they try to do all those type of things and then i said well i was a medical patient and i have my license since 21 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I just say a story I heard uh a few weeks ago in Syracuse? Uh, a young black woman, uh, she might have been in her 40s or whatever. She talked about her the first time she got arrested in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. uh, she was driving, she got pulled over. Cop looks in the window, he sees Dr. Dre the chronic with the weed leaf on it. Oh Lord. And he says, That gives me the right to search your car. Pulled her out and, and you know, found weed. She wasn't smoking it, but she they found weed. And that's how that's how she got her first charge. And I just want to say that the stigma that stigma is just like, think about that. She had a, a CD with a weed leaf on it, and it <laughs> upended her whole life. Um, wow, wow. And, and then that cop, uh, you know, um, obviously, you know, pulled her out and searched her for that. But that bias is just, you know, those interactions with 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 the community, with the government, with police. Um, it's it's just so there's it's so deep. And, and, and you can see it being picked up again with, with bail reform. I mean, bail reform yeah. simply means you, you need to be found guilty before you're incarcerated. Yes, yes, absolutely. And they have added this whole thing to bail reform like it's just letting criminals out on the street. That's not true. Yeah. True. Yeah. And true. every community where it's been happening, crime's gone down. So it's just like, it, it's yes. people are lying. Basically. And by the way, right. not only time going down, but they've the state has saved money. Counties yes. have saved money by not locking people up unnecessarily. Yep. They're not conservative when it comes to criminal justice. When it comes no. to <laughs> lock them up. <laughs> That's it. So so night watchman. Yeah, we have to have to start wrapping up, but I'd like um each of our guests to just um give mm -hmm. us a little bit of a closing statement. Perfect. And let's start with you, Esther. Well, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank for the work the OCM, Deshita Dawson, uh, Majority Leader People Stoke have done. I have been able to campaign and take your work and just do the boots on the ground because we know you guys can't do it. Mm -hmm. uh, support from Air Wellness has been amazing. Uh, Kari Edwards from Brooklyn, he's been amazing job. And just know that you guys have support from Cultivated Community Foundation to continue this work. And education is going to be key in this game. I'm trying to make sure that our community, everyone is buying in. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want people losing their NYCHA privileges. I don't want people losing. I don't want re-arrest. I don't want people smoking on federal property and getting arrested for that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to continue the work. Great job, Christopher Alexander. Tremaine, I love her. She has done so much to support the movement of the education. And education is going to be key. And then also for the legacy and the people coming up, we have to do the work also to making sure that our... Uh, our communities understand us and educate them and let them buy in. Let them see your face. Let them know who you are as a person, because that's another way for amazing buy-in. So thank you for having me. I'm so excited um, for being here. Beautiful. Thank you, Queen Betsy, for sure. All right. All right. Damien. 
Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thank you, mm -hmm. Mr. Majority Leader. Thank you for listening mm -hmm. to the radio show and finding me and putting me in my purpose. <laughs> so I, I really, I really am so grateful to you for for trusting me and believing in me and, and finding me. Um, but I, I really want to give one a shout out to to folks like Esther right now because, um, you know, before this, I was just an advocate. I was a farmer. I was an activist. I was, you know, going to these events, going to these meetings, building community with people. It has been so encouraging to me to see the community that's been built around cannabis across the state. Um, you know, from the event I was at in the Bronx a few weeks ago, um, you know, the legacy community in Rochester has just been organizing and building strength and community in, in ways that I never thought possible. And there's so many people like Esther who are doing this work unpaid, volunteer, because they believe in the industry. They believe in their communities. They want to help people. And mm -hmm. a lot of ways I wish I wish we as an agency could do more to support those advocates um and, and partner with them but you know we're, we're kind of limited legally in what we can do but color copies yeah <laughs> color copies. I, got, I got i got like 50 activists and advocates from all over the country on my phone every day telling me what's happening tell me what people are saying giving me advice encouraging me telling me to keep going and so i just want to let people know that like we see you the community that we that we built here in new york around cannabis like we, we love you keep up with the good work we need you uh don't mm -hmm. stop and and and, and thank you Beautiful, beautiful. Majority leader. Well, first of all, I want to uh, thank you all for having me. It was a great discussion, and what a pleasure it is to meet Esther. I, there are folks like Esther all over the state of New York now that are advocating and educating people, and I'm grateful for that because there's so much miseducation mm -hmm. out there. People mm -hmm. give out wrong information about the Office of Cannabis Management on a regular basis. And I love it when there are some immediate people in the vicinity when they say it, that I don't have to always be the one correcting them. Mm. People understand, this is, nice. you, you can't speed through this. You got to mm -hmm. take your time to get it done right. Lastly, I want to say this. Every time I meet a, um, a legacy entrepreneur who have, for lack of better words, been the, the boys on the corner. Mm -hmm. And they and I say to them, you know, I, I, they actually say thank you, but I say to them, I did this for you. Yes, yes. But I don't know you, I, mm -hmm. I, but I know of you. You mm -hmm. live nice. all over the state of New York and in our communities. This legislation is for you. Yes. Get yes. yourself right so you can take advantage of it in the way it was designed to, and they're doing that. I love to see the, the glee in their eye when I say I did this for you, and I don't even know them. Mm. But that's real, because yeah. I did for them. And I, I can't thank Chris and his whole team and Damien and Axel and everybody that works with them. I am totally impressed by the work that they're doing. They're building a brand new agency in little or no time and getting the work done. So I would just say to hope that everyone has a really great um, new year okay. and Merry Christmas. And mm -hmm. we're going to continue the good work. And that is going to make it right for our people because it's time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Night Watchman, I guess you could take us home. So you have, uh, first of all, thank you, our guests, for just a wonderful show. Uh, yes. Giving us a chance to close out the year on a real, uh, real uh, positive, strong note. Um, 
Uh, you've been listening to Soul Lounge Primetime on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. You can also find us live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. And now we're available on most uh, podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. So go check us out. Um, go on December 29th if you're in New York uh, to, I believe it's 750 Broadway, um, um, to the first uh, dispensary opening up, support, check it out, um, and know that your purchase is going to support a lot of uh, really good efforts that are going on. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for all of us, for all of our guests, and for everybody yes. who has contributed to this process. And we can't wait to see what happens in the new year. That's Thanks, right. everybody. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you all. All right. Take care. Have a great